How good are you at hearing the Word of God preached and receiving it as the Word of God and obeying it? How good are you at, at that? Because this is where a, your, your first battle is going to come in. You're going to have a battle with this. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter number 28, Deuteronomy 28. We'll be talking about the promised land. You know that entering into something new can be exciting. Unless you're going to prison, I suppose. But entering into something new usually has a bit of a, you know, a nice a nicety about it. Maybe it's a new car. Uh, brand new car, boy, that's for sure. Uh, a new home. Getting into a new place, maybe a bigger home. Moving to a new country. Some of you have moved from one country to this country. And these experiences uh, can be exciting and they can sort of feel a little bit, you know, like a promised land. The Lord God took his people out of bondage in Egypt. And they were under some pretty lousy taskmasters. They would, uh, they would be harshly treated um, for a long time in Egypt. And they were crying out to God, help, can't you do something? And of course, God did. And finally, God brought his people, used Moses to do it, but he got, brought his people out of Egypt. And where did they go next? Starts with a W. Wilderness, that's right. They went into the wilderness, kind of a deserty, you know, wilderness. And they marched around there for a while, didn't they? But God's plan was to bring them to a special place, a very special place. And what was the name of that special place? The, the promised land, that's right. And so those words, the promised land, they sort of have a little bit of a... Uh, I don't know, a special place in our hearts. We think of the promised land as, as someplace uh, really nice. And indeed, from what we read in Scripture, uh, it, it was. Um, in Numbers chapter 14, Joshua was one of the 12 spies. He comes back, and this, th this is what Joshua said about the promised land. Because he went there, looked it all over, and came back. And he said... A, it's a land which floweth with milk and honey. Boy, that sounds good. Uh, the milk, of course, would be lots of cows. You get milk from goats as well, by the way. So maybe there was lots of goats as well. Uh, and honey. Uh, lots of bees in there and everyone likes honey. And so these were the, um, uh, the natural products uh, of the, the land. So anyhow, to have lots of uh, milk meant you had to have lots of, um, of cows and things. And that means that there has, to, there has to be lots of grass, right? So it's got to be a well-watered place, not like the desert. That old desert didn't have much grass in it, did it? The sand would get pretty hot, I'm sure. Everyone likes grass. Take off their socks and shoes and run on the grass like a little kid. That's a nice feeling. And here was the promised land. And it was full of grass and full of cows and full of milk and full of honey. So in order to have honey, what else have you got to have in order to make the honey? 
and nectar from the flowers. So there's going to be a lot of flowers, right? And so it kind of gives you an idea that this was a pretty nice place. Uh, flowers don't grow much in the hot, hot desert sun. You know, they, they need good soil. They, uh, they need the right amount of sun and rain and things like that. And so Joshua was pretty excited about the promised land. Uh, he, he went and he saw it. Moses spoke of the promised land in, in Deuteronomy chapter 11. And Moses said, it's a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year unto the end of the year. Boy, that sounds good. Now, this place, this geographic place in the world we call Israel. Sometimes we call it the Holy Land. That was the promised land that God was speaking about. And God wanted to bring His people there. Now, as Christians, we sometimes refer to heaven as our promised land. Boy, oh boy, heaven, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Hmm. Oh boy, heaven, a place where the eyes of the Lord are on it from the beginning of the year to the end. And sometimes we speak of heaven as if it's the promised land. But, folks, if we want to be accurate and true, the promised land on earth that, that the Jews went into, the promised land was fought with battles. They got into the promised land and for the next 20 years, that's all Joshua did. One battle after another battle after another battle after another battle. That's a lot of bloodshed, isn't it? And of course, then they would take over land and cities and all of the spoils of war and things like that. And some of the, um, uh, the locals, the Canaanites and uh, Philistines and so on, uh, they weren't killed off. They remained there. And they became at times a blessing, other times a thorn in the side of um, the Israelites. But still to this day, the Holy Land is still fought with battles. From the Gaza Strip, they're firing rockets into uh, Israel. Um, there's intonations of war from Russia. There's powerful intonations of war from uh, Iran. They want to wipe them off the face of the earth. There's all kinds of battles going on. Things we don't even know about. Even to this very day. Now the book of Joshua tells us how the Jews had to get in there and battle the Canaanites and conquer the promised land. When we get to heaven, our battles are over. There's no battles in heaven. For us, anyhow, it's all over. It's all done. And uh, so to be accurate, for us, for us Christians, our promised, our promised land is a place of battle and blessing, if we're going to be accurate. The promised land for us, in principle, is the same as it was for, for the Jews. A place of battle and blessing, it's the same for us. The promised land for us believers is a place of battle and blessing. And I suggest to you to this morning that you are already in the promised land. Um, for us Christians, our promised land must be entered into by faith. There's battling, there's building, 
but there's blessing as well. We're going to talk about that this morning. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. Wonderful Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ, boy, the battles are won. No matter what they are. We thank you that we are so secure and safe. And yet we're called upon to put on Christian armor because there's a real enemy called Satan. And help us, Lord, to be reminded again about the promised land. That it is a place of blessing. It is. But it's a place of battling. And it's a place of building as well. But it is a place of blessing. And so teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two simple points. Point number one. (laughs) The promised land for our church. Our church, Grace Baptist Church. The place we call home. The place we love to get together and fellowship and sing the great songs and hear the Word of God preached and to be able to serve the Lord. And we started back in 1999 uh, from nothing. It was my family of five of us. And we had one senior lady, one senior saint. So there were six of us. You know the story. Oh, pastor's going to tell about his cardboard box again. Yeah, he does that sometimes. My first pulpit was a cardboard box in the living room of our home. And so we were in that home for four years. Um, We didn't stay there too long, though. After about a month, two months, a month, I guess, we moved into the Bear Creek Park Pavilion. And we had 1,200 square feet. Wonderful. And we ran all around. Look at all the room. It's sure bigger than the living room, isn't it? But we set up the chairs, right? And we had a portable pulpit. By that point, this thing folded up. And we got to store a few things there. We had hymn books that we, we had purchased previous. And so we had the church going in the Bear Creek Park Pavilion. Out of the woodwork came a bunch of people. And our first Sunday there, we had 25 people. 25 people, when they found out that we were singing the hymns, when we were using the King James Bible, they came out of the woodwork, and that was our church. Our very first offering that day was $200. Count it, $200. The exciting thing was it meant we had enough money for next week's rent. And maybe the week after that, too. So we had hit the big time. We were so thankful, so excited. And we were green and growing. I still kind of think we're a bit green and growing, really. But anyhow, we were really green then. And we had people come in. And so um, church grew. Um, After about a year, year and a half, we were starting to think we need a bigger place. And we found a place and a guy gave us a special deal on it. And we moved into this place and it was 2,000 square feet. And we ran all around, look at all the room, look at all the room. Sure is bigger than the Bear Creek Park Pavilion that we just came out of. Now, the difference is we had this place 24-7. We didn't have to set up and take down. Boy, that was a happy day when that happened. And we had our own little parking lot. And um, Daryl, how many cars did we get in there? Was it 12? (laughs) Daryl says lots. But... um, (laughs) I think it was only like 12 or 15 cars that we could get in there. But I think what he's referring to is that we started getting very creative in our parking. And so we parked them this way and this way and this way. All these cars all parked in there. And in order for anyone to get out, 
we had to do it very carefully. One at a time had to back out, another had to back out and so on. Those were fun days though. And we had that building about six years and we grew, I don't know, to maybe 70 people, something like that. And so then the Lord provided another place. Our next place was across the street over here. By the way, we had started Sacrifice Sunday back in that place, the, um, the, the, the place on King George that we were there for six years. And with that money, we were able to renovate. This was an empty shell over here, except for a few offices up front. And we turned it into a gorgeous, beautiful church facility over here. And that was about 4,000 square feet. We got in there and we ran all around and said, look at all the room, look at all the room. Sure is bigger than that place on, you know, 9061 King George. And we were there for about four years and we outgrew it. And we were taking on more missionaries and more exciting things were happening and people getting saved and baptized. And so we needed a place. The Salvation Army had been in here. And so about 10 and a half years ago, we all of a sudden noticed, hey, this building's empty. And so we did our due diligence and everyone picked up a pew and we came across the street and here we are. And we've been here for over 10 years now. And we are looking for a bigger building. We could sure use it. We could sure use the Sunday school room. We could sure do a whole lot more. We hold the Bible college in here too and we could sure use more rooms to be able to put in classes for the Bible college. And anyhow, that's going to be future in the, in the Lord's timing. But you see, this for our church is like promised land. If you look up here on this wall, there's a great big map on the wall. That's the map of Surrey. We affectionately call it our Jerusalem, patterned after Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we are closing in. We've been at it for years and years, but we are closing in to having almost every house in Surrey with a flyer, a piece of gospel literature. This does not include the high-rise apartment buildings. That's part of what we want to use our Sacrifice Sunday money for, is to pay for mailing so we can get into these high-rise apartment buildings because otherwise we're not allowed to, right? You're not allowed to get in there and go door-to-door -door in the high-rise. So there's places we can't get into, but we can still get the gospel in there. And so we want to use some of the Sacrifice Sunday money to get the gospel in. But anyhow, it's exciting. So we are getting close to having finished the, the city and we've been at it for 23 years. So it's a big city and we're just a small church. But it's happening. Anyhow, point one is welcome to your promised land, church. Look how God has blessed us. And we do have sweet services, don't we? Don't we have wonderful talent? Great singing, great music, great ministries. COVID whacked us all and we had to lose our bus ministry. But um, God's been blessing. We've got a little money set aside to buy a bus one day. We want to get back into the bus ministry. And that's another reason we're going to need a bigger building. Boy, they're not that easy to find, I tell you, these bigger buildings. But anyhow, um, are we done yet as a church? No, we're not done. We've been building, we've been battling, and we've been blessed over these last 23 years. And unless Jesus comes back soon, I foresee there's going to be some more building, some more battling, and some more blessings. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think that's what God has called us to. That is the promised land for us as a church. 
Well, point number two, there's a personal promised land awaiting every Christian. This is happy news for someone here today. Just as there was a promised land, so to speak, for our church family, our church, there's a promised land for each and every single one of us. About 25 years ago, 19, if I get the math right, five, no, 27 years ago, 1995, 1995, 27 years ago, my wife and I discovered that there was a <clears throat> personal promised land for every Christian. <clears throat> that is where life really gets exciting. Pardon me while I go to the pool of Siloam here for a minute. Ah, that helps. Um, one of the worst things is for a Christian to kind of get into a rut and to think, oh, I guess this is as good as it gets. Oh, well, I guess, you know, prayers don't really get answered that much. Oh, I guess I don't get much out of the Bible. Oh, I guess I don't get to, to know God in a, in a deep way. Oh, I guess I, I don't get this. I don't get that. I read about it in the Bible. I hear about it in the lives of others. But <clears throat> it never happens to me. I guess I'm not that lucky. I guess this is as good as life gets. I got to carry my heavy load. I got to bear my cross, my burden. And I got to trudge on the best I can until Jesus takes me home to heaven. What a sad way to live our lives, don't you think? I think God's got something better. In fact, I know He does. In fact, for 27 years, I've experienced it. I've been saved now 47 years, which means for the first 20 years, I didn't know about this. But then I found out about this. And I've been taking advantage of the personal promised land ever since. And boy, what a blessing it is. I wish I could go back to 1975 when I was saved and start the personal promised land right from then. I wish with all my heart, but no can do. There is a personal promised land waiting for you to be discovered. And what is it that you long for in your Christian life? And I'll bet you it's found in your personal promised land. I bet you that God already knows about it. The great desire on your heart for good things is waiting for you in your promised land. I believe this with all my heart, that God wants you to enter into great blessings. We're all recipients of God's blessings in many ways, and they're food on our table, clothes on our back, and these things that He does because He's a loving Father. And those are all good blessings. Don't get me wrong. But there are greater blessings that God has for every Christian man, woman, young person. I believe that with all my heart that God wants you to have a close, intimate walk with Him. Now listen, if you don't want it, then you're not going to get it. But if you do want it, it's there for you. It is an incredible blessing to be able to get up in the morning or listen, wake up halfway in the middle of the night and be able to feel close to your Heavenly Father. Be able to get up in the morning and to start walking with God through the day. Now, that is something that I wish that I had known more about earlier in my Christian life. Well, let's see, put it this way. I knew about it, but I didn't know, I didn't know it really uh, in my experience that much. I believe with all my heart that God wants to give all of His children a deep, rich, 
understanding of the Bible. I believe with all my heart that God wants to give His people a close, loving relationship within the family. Families don't have to be uh, hard experiences and fragmented and so on. We can have this. Now, also this one, and I say this carefully because it's been so terribly abused, but I believe with all my heart that God wants to give the blessings of health and finance to His people as well. And I put a caution in there because so many people start thinking, Oh, Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn. No, 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 no. Forget him. Forget he even exists. And I'm going to show you from the Scriptures. I want you to see it yourself. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And look please at verse number 8. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. He's talking about the, the promised land. And God is talking here in a tangible, physical, materialistic way, if you will. Look at verse 11. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Now, by the way, pause here for a minute. What the devil did was he came in with a clever substitute. And the devil brought in these pagan gods. And the pagan gods were used by the pagan people. The Canaanites and Philistines and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and all of those ites. <clears throat> they lived there in that promised land and they had all of these little statues and pagan gods that they firmly believed in. And they would tell you, whenever I faithfully pray to Ashtaroth or to Baal, then I get good crops in the field. Then my kids, you know, they're healthy and strong. Uh, the, the, the cows, they, they give birth and none of the calves die. And this is what the, the, the pagans would tell you. And so when the Israelites got their eyes off God, guess what they got their eyes onto? And that's where the idol worship came in. They worshiped the idols because they were wanting the things that God was saying He would give them. God is the same God today as He was four, five, six thousand years ago. He hasn't changed. He's the same God and He wants to bless His people. And here in verse 11, it says that God will make us plenteous. Verse 12, the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head, and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. So we, we can see here very clearly that it is the desire of God to bless His people. Don't think that God is trying to you know, squash you beneath His heel and, and cause you to just live a, a horrible life and a life of misery. That's not God's desire. He wants to bless. He wants to encourage how else can you rise to the challenge when there's um, a financial need on the mission field? How else can you do it unless God blesses you? And so God was wanting to bless His people so that you having all sufficiency at all times may abound unto every good work. 
keep your finger there in Deuteronomy 28. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Many years ago, I read a book by a Christian man who's now in heaven, but he was a Christian businessman. His name was Stanley Tam, T-A-M, Stanley Tam. And he wrote a, a book called God Owns My Business. And I read that book a couple times. And in the book, he gave his life story. But he said something in that book that at that time, this is back in the early 90s when I read it, I couldn't figure it. I couldn't get my head around it. He took a Bible verse and applied it to himself. And I said, how can you do that? Till later, I realized that the whole Bible is given to all of God's people. It's not like just the Old Testament was given to the Jews and the New Testament is given to the Christians. It's not that way at all, folks. It's all God's Word. And it's all given to us. And look, he took verse number 18. He claimed it as his own. Deuteronomy 8.18 But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And by faith he claimed that. That's how he did it, by faith. He reached out and said, Lord, you made that promise. I want that promise. I want to use this for your glory. And that's what he did. And God started blessing his business. Stanley Tam was a no one, a nobody. And yet God started opening doors for this simple Christian man. And he got into business and he started making a lot of money. What did he do with the money? Well, he didn't feather his nest and buy himself, you know, mansions in the sky. He used it to get missionaries out to the mission field. And his businesses, plural, because he had five businesses, were bringing in multiple, multiple, multiple millions of dollars every year. And he was giving millions and millions of dollars to support the Lord's work. He himself, he lived in a modest house. He wore decent enough clothes. He drove a fine car. Not a Rolls Royce, but he had a, a decent car. That was his lifestyle. You see, God could trust Stanley Tam with tens of millions of dollars, whereas God might not be able to trust some other Christian who might say, well, ho, ho, first, Lord, first, I'm going to do this and that and the other thing, and I've always wanted to do this. And then after that, then I'll, I'll start giving money to, to Christian causes. Not Stanley Tam. He put the Lord first and kept the Lord first through the good times and through the times of testing and trial. And God never ceased to bless Stanley Tam. I actually had the opportunity to talk with him. I got him on the phone, Miracle of Miracles. This is back in the 90s, after I read his book. I wanted to talk to this man. And he was a senior saint at that time. And he was very patient and very gracious with me on the phone. And I had a delightful time, delightful memory of talking with Stanley Tam. I look forward to seeing him again in heaven. But he wrote, actually, a couple of books. But this one, God Owns My Business, it's, boy, it's recommended reading, folks. Now, he doesn't, he didn't use the King James Bible, so we won't hold that against him. But it is an excellent book. If you want to get some encouragement, especially if you want to be in business or something or just learn the principles, boy, I tell you, this, this guy's book, God Owns My Business, Stanley Tan. But he took Deuteronomy 8.18 and applied it to his life. He did it by faith. And God answered and blessed. I'll tell you something else. Is in Malachi 3.10, when we take God at his word and we start tithing, and we find, yes, indeed, he does open the windows of heaven. He does bless us. You can't tell me that the Old Testament was only for the Jews 
and the New Testament is only for the Christians because you're not seeing the whole picture. The same God who wrote the old, wrote the new, and he gave both old and new to us. We have it. We're talking today on the promised land. And it's an expression found mainly here. So I'm saying this, that God wants to do so many great things for his people. But, and I put in but with a capital B-U-T, bold, underlined, these blessings may only come through spiritual battles. There may be some cost to pay. You see, in the promised land, you did have blessings. But what else did you have? Somebody tell me. Battles. You have battles. Battles go with blessings, folks. Okay? Uh, Mrs. Lydia is about to uh, give birth. Not right now, but she, to me, she looks like she might. But I was wondering if she's got twins in there, but she says no. Anyhow, one day in the next couple of months, she's going to give birth. Now, those of you ladies who have been there, done that, you know it's a bit of a battle. Rarely do you ever go into the birthing room and go to sleep, sweet, and then wake up and, oh, there's my baby. It doesn't work that way, does it? Some of you husbands, you've been through the birthing room there with your wives and you came out more shaken, rattled, and frazzled than she was. You'd never seen such things before. And uh, it stuck with you the rest of your life. So, uh, yeah, there's battles, but there's blessings. In order to get the blessing of the baby, you have to go through the battle of the birth. Now, in my own case, my, my wife, three times, three kids, three times. I went through that with her three times. I've been through the birthing room three times, haven't I? Yes. And it was a battle each time. The first time, I think it was uh, 22 hours of labor. The second time, I think it was 21 hours of labor. The third time, 19 hours of labor. So you add up, that's a lot of labor, right? <laughs> that's pushing 60 hours of labor. So anyhow, you got the battles, but you get the blessings. And in your personal promised land, there's blessings. But you may have to do some battling in order to get the blessing. This is what I'm trying to communicate today. But if you're willing to do the battle, God wants you to have the blessing. He wants you to have these things I mentioned about an intimate, close, wonderful walk with Him. He wants you to, to enter into great blessings of deep, rich understanding of the Bible and close, wonderful family relations and getting your prayers answered and the blessings of health and finances. God wants to give these things to us. But I remind you again, they come at a cost. It means you'll walk with God in the fullness of His Holy Spirit. It means you'll start thinking about coming Sunday night as well as Sunday morning. It means that you're going to have to start thinking about, hmm, I'm going to have to do some spiritual battle against the devil. The devil may be winning in certain areas of your life. And you want to be the, the uh, victor. You don't want to be the victim, right? You want to be the overcomer. Like it said there, you want to be the head, not the tail. And when it comes to some of these things, like some Christians... They have trouble, 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 nothing but trouble trying to read their Bible and pray every day. Well, they're not the head, they're the tail, aren't they? Some Christians have nothing but struggle and problems when they come to tithing. Well, they're the tail, they're not the head, are they? And some Christians, when it comes to faithful, regular church attendance, they struggle. 
And there may be some other areas as well. There may be some personal battles. But you see, we don't really want to be the tail. We want to be the head. In order to be the head and get the blessings, you've got to go through the battle. But if you'll go through the battle, you'll get the blessings. You know, one of the hymn writers in our hymn book there wrote about Beulah land. You know the hymn? The word Beulah, the Hebrew word, it means married. And that was kind of the idea, you know, in a woman's heart, at least back then it was. I think for many women today as well, you know, the boy, the greatest thing, boy, to be married, have a loving, handsome, wealthy husband, <laughs> and uh, lots of uh, loving, uh, healthy kids, and, you know, oh, to be married, you see? And so th that's why the name Beulah, <clears throat> Beulah Land. I've reached the land of corn and wine, and all its riches freely mine. Here shines undimmed one blissful day, for all my night has passed away. Oh, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land, as on the highest mount I stand. I look away across the way, I got that wrong, <laughs> where mansions are prepared for me. You see, the idea is the hymn writer was saying, he's not in heaven yet. He's saying that this is the Beulah land, walking close with God. He was talking about the promised land for the Christian, and he looks, he looks away, and he sees where mansions are prepared. Well, they're, they're, not, they're not here yet. We're not there yet. That's when we get to heaven. So the promised land here can be a land of corn and wine. It can be a land of, of blessings and riches, all mine. Now again, I'm not talking a prosperity gospel. Please, don't throw me in that kettle of fish. I'm not. I preach against that stuff. But look, let's look at this very quickly. I want to go through it with you. And I want you to see it for yourself. In verse 1, chapter 28, verse 1. This is entering the promised land by diligently obeying the Lord. It shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Let me ask you folks, how good are you at obeying the Lord? How good are you at reading the scriptures and obeying what it says? How good are you at hearing the word of God preached and receiving it as the word of God and obeying it? How good are you at, at that? Because this is where a, your, your first battle is going to come in. You're going to have a battle with this. Um, we can experience overpowering problems and fears and hang-ups. And you know what that is? That's nothing but the wilderness wanderings. You can wander in the wilderness if you want for the rest of your Christian days, if that's what you want. I mean, when you got saved, you came out of Egyptian bondage. But you landed maybe in the wilderness wanderings. That's not where the Lord wants you to stay. He wants you to get into the promised land. If you like it in the wilderness, that's up to you. You can stay there with the rattlesnakes. Stay there with the hot sand. Stay there with the tumbleweeds. Stay there with the cold nights and the blistering sun during the day. Stay there. God will feed you manna and water. But you won't get the corn and wine. You won't get the riches freely mine. You won't get the, the land that floweth with milk and honey. It's not in the wilderness, folks. Say, have any of you been messing around in the wilderness too long? 
Is that what your Christian experience feels like? It's just one sandy day after the next. That's not God's will for your life. I mean, it's a, if you want to visit there, but he wants you in the promised land. That's what he's made for you. So, as you diligently start to obey the Lord, he will encourage you with some early blessings. Now, what are these early blessings? Let's look at verse 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and the field, and blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy ground, the fruit of thy cattle, increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be the basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in. Blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Boy, those are good blessings. And these are early blessings too. But you know, there's more blessings than that. I think we should want these blessings, and God wants them for us. But God gives them them to us to whet our appetite so that there's yet more to come. And this requires faith on your part. Now look at verse 7. The first part of it anyhow. This is where the battles come. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee. There's the battles. But here's what happens. To be smitten before thy face. You see, the enemies, the enemies of God, they will see your blessings and they will start to attack. Who's our number one ultimate enemy? Who? Satan is. Not the next door neighbor. It's not your in-laws or outlaws. It's not the boss at work. It's Satan. Satan, he's the number one enemy. You know, back in the days of Nehemiah, he, he was called of God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Oh, a piece of cake, no problem. Yeah, Have you ever read the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah had to have special strength and courage and wisdom. And he had some powerful enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah. And these guys were no dummies. They knew how to apply all kinds of different pressure on him. But in God's plan, he overcame. Now look at the rest of verse 7. Okay, they shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Well, that sounds good. As we are faithful, God will make sure that we win the battles. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in obedience to God when they went into Philippi. And they had some exciting success there. People were getting saved. But the next thing you know, the opposition came. The battles came. They were being accused. They got arrested. you remember the story? And they got thrown into jail. And oh boy, the fun began. And so at midnight, they were singing praises to God. Do you remember? God answered their prayer and there was a big earthquake. Boom, 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 boom. Everyone's chain fell off. Boy, that must have been exciting. The jailer woke up and said, it's the end of the road, boys. I got to kill myself because once these, these prisoners escape, they're going to take me and kill me or maybe do something worse. I, goodbye. And he was about to fall on his sword. And Paul cried out, do thyself no harm, we're all here. And so he called for a light. He came in and he fell down and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you see, here was a tremendous story. Tremendous testimony. Incredible excitement of how this guy got saved. It's, they remain faithful They remained faithful to God and God gave them the victory. So you see, in your promised land, 
There's going to be some early blessings. Then the testings are going to come, the trials. Satan is going to come and try and oppose you. And that's where the battles are going to come in. No, you don't want to go to church Sunday night. Ah, oh, you don't want to tithe or give faith promise or, or, or sacrifice Sunday. Ah, oh, no, you want to use that money on, on something else. The battles are going to come. But as you are faithful to God, that's where the real payoff comes. The big blessings. Now in Deuteronomy 28, if you look at verse 8, And the Lord shall command the blessing upon thy, thee in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And look at verse 11. And the Lord shall make, thy, shall make thee plenteous in goods. And down through verse 12 as well. Debt free. That's what verses 11 and 12 are saying to me. Debt free. Wouldn't you like to be debt free? Boy, that sounds good. That's part of your promised land, folks. That's part of what God can do for you. And of course, verse 13 is your reputation. He shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above and not below. You know, you'll lend, but you won't borrow. You'll have a, a good reputation. Now, we've got to finish up here quickly. But I want to ask you, how is your Christian life doing? Are you still messing around in the wilderness? Are you ready to enter the promised land? Well, you do it by faith. You do it by faith. You come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been in, a prom, in, the, in the wilderness too long. Lord, I, I'm getting heat stroke. I'm thinking that this is the best that it gets. Lord, I want to enter into the promised land. I want to put you first. I want to obey you. Lord, I want to show you my obedience and my love. And Lord, I'm looking for those blessings. And when the battle comes, Lord, I'm going to put on the armor. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to you. Would you stand to your feet so we can pray? I'd like... Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.